Amen. What great truth we have just sung. Please be seated. On a trip to Israel back in the 90s, Ray and I had the wonderful opportunity to go and visit a garden, and in that garden was an empty tomb. That garden was under the care of the British Garden Tomb Society, and that tomb is one of the possible sites for Jesus' burial. And irrespective of its authenticity, though archaeologists suggest that there is evidence that that tomb dates to the first century, it was the most meaningful place for me to visit in all of Israel. And it was meaningful not because it was empty the day I saw it, but because it was empty the first Easter morning. It reminded me of the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His resurrection is central to faith. His resurrection is central to being a Christian. I would go as far as to say his resurrection is central to my identity and your identity as a person. The resurrection, the reality of the empty tomb. As profoundly important as that reality is, I have found it easy to be complacent even ignoring this reality as I walk the road of the Christian life day to day. As odd as it might seem, as I walk with Christ as his disciples, I need to be confronted by and impacted with the reality of the empty tomb. He is risen repeatedly. In our text today, we find two disciples who witnessed the events of Holy Week, who heard the report of the women that the tomb was empty, and the declaration by the angels, he is alive, meaning Jesus. They were actual, not only heard that report, but they ran to the tomb and were eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. And these two disciples, as they were leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, desperately needed to be confronted with and impacted by the realities of the empty tomb. This account in Luke's gospel serves to testify to the reality of the resurrection and to the identity of the risen Lord. This story also confronts us today with our need to be impacted over and over again, daily even, with the reality of the empty tomb, he is risen. So let us walk with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus as they walked in sadness because of disappointment, as they walked sluggish in disbelief, and as they 
ended their walk with Jesus with hearts that burned in delight for him. We may not know the location of Emmaus, but we know all too well the experience of the Emmaus Road. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And before we publicly read our passage this morning, let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, confront us with and impact us by the realities of the empty tomb. In the words of this text, we pray, making me a faithful preacher, making us faithful hearers of the word, calling upon you, O Holy Spirit, to apply this, the very word of God, to our hearts today and change us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning with verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. First, the disciples walked with Jesus in sadness, having been disappointed with Jesus. It is not uncommon for those preparing uh, for marriage to have unrealistic expectations of what married life is going to be about. Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful before marriage often become Mr. and Mrs. Big Disappointment after marriage. Don't worry, Paige, you're different. Have you ever been disappointed with Jesus? Has your expectations about Jesus not been met? Have you ever struggled with God's will for your life? The events of this passage took place, the text tells us, verse 13, that very day, the first Easter morning. Luke records in verses 1 through 2 about the women uh, going to the tomb to finish the preparations for Jesus' body. And they find the tomb empty and the angels declare to them he is alive. They run back, tell the disciples. And then some of the disciples run to the tomb to verify this account. And our two disciples today, if not part of that group that went to the tomb to verify the women's report, they were at least part of that group that heard the women's report. They were eyewitnesses, we might say, first-hand account to the empty tomb on that first Easter morning. Later that day, the two disciples, Cleopas, and an unnamed disciple, maybe his wife, maybe a child, we, we do not know, were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We don't really know where Emmaus is located, but we sure know the experience of the Emmaus Road. At least I do. Maybe you. Emmaus, wherever it's located, was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Likely these two disciples had been part of all the activities that had taken place since Palm Sunday all the way to Easter Sunday morning. They saw, probably saw Jesus right in on that donkey on Palm Sunday. They were probably there, or at least thereabouts, the Last Supper. They might even been in and around the Garden of Gethsemane. We know they probably witnessed the crucifixion. And then they were there as part of that body of disciples that were eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. They had likely been there to celebrate Passover like many, many, maybe thousands, if not a million plus Jews in that city that day, witnessing all these things surrounding Holy Week, as we call it. The two travelers were discussing all these things as they were leaving Jerusalem and traveling to their home in Emmaus, verse 14, all these things that had happened, all these events, especially surrounding Jesus' death, burial, and the empty tomb. And then the stranger joins them, verse 15, 
And the disciples were kept, we well, need to understand, the disciples were kept by God from recognizing Jesus. So in verse 17, the stranger asked them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? They stood still in sadness. They also were shocked that anyone that had been in and around Jerusalem that week would, have, would ask such a, a question. How could this stranger be, be unaware of these things? And Jesus asked them, what, what things? And so they, they went about describing all these things that had happened concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, who was delivered to the chief priests and the rulers to be crucified. Look at verse 21. This really is, is a critical verse that gives us insight in, into the hearts and minds of these two disciples, and I might suggest all the disciples. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Why did they say this? In verses 22 through 24, they, they, they summarize the women's report. They acknowledge eyewitness accounts to the empty tomb. And yet, but him they did not see. And these two disciples did not expect to see Jesus on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that he was the one. For these eyewitnesses of all the events that had taken place over that week, for these eyewitnesses who were part of that body of disciples that early Easter morning as these women came to report, as there was verification, as it was authenticated that indeed the tomb was empty, as they heard the declaration of the angels that, that he is alive, Jesus to them was a disappointment. Their expectations of what he came to do did not come about in their minds. Do we struggle with being disappointed with Jesus? We may have expectations for how our lives, how we might want our lives to turn out, and how we want our lives to turn out does not pan out, and we become disappointed. We may even say, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm praying. I faithfully give to the church and, and to the causes of, of your kingdom. I, I'm actually in church every Sunday unless providentially hindered. But, but Jesus, after all these things, that, that I, the good disciple that I am, Why did the good things I want to happen don't happen and the bad things I don't want to happen happen to me? Have you ever found yourself disappointed with Jesus? I have. Just one example, Christian parents. We've got a lot of kids here. What a blessing. In our church, when a child is baptized, congregation raise our right hand that we're going to come alongside and assist those parents in the in the 
the nurture and admonition of that child being raised and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and we mean it, and parents mean it. Our expectation is that our child, as they're a part of the church, as they hear the gospel week in and, and week out, our expectation is is they will walk with the Lord, and that is the expectation that we should have, but we have no guarantees. And if you really want to know what disappointment feels like, then be a Christian parent who faithfully given imperfectly, but who faithfully raises children and one or more reject Christ. If you want to know what disappointment is like, if you want to know what it is like to say, Jesus, what are you doing? The two disciples' interaction with a stranger teaches us a powerful lesson here. (laughs) This is it. Sacred text, but it is amusing to me. The two disciples are confessing their disappointment with Jesus and not fulfilling their expectations to Jesus unknowingly. I find that amusing. I also find that instructive because, brothers and sisters, when we fall into being disappointed with Jesus or life not turning out like like we had hoped it to be or failed expectations, that's exactly what we should do. Confess that disappointment to Jesus knowingly. And I believe that is the beginning of the path of those disappointments being put in their proper perspective under the sovereignty of God. Hey, listen, uh, we we don't know where uh, Emmaus is located. But we know the experience of the Emmaus road in being disappointed with Jesus. Secondly, the disciples walk with Jesus sluggish in disbelief. Several years ago, I experienced disappointment with my calling as a pastor. And, and, and during that period of, of struggle, by the way, I hid it so well that none of you knew about it. During that, that struggle, as I was doing my morning Bible reading, I came to Matthew chapter 8, and that is the account of this leper (laughs) who came to Jesus and knelt down before him, and this this leper professes faith, and this is how the leper professes faith, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus responded, I will be clean. That leper had every reason to be disappointed with life. And he certainly had reason to be disappointed with Jesus if if Jesus said, that's not my will, don't be healed, right? But the leper said this, I know you can heal me, Jesus. I know you are able. If it is your will, heal me. That is what faith looks like. 
If it's your will, heal me, Jesus. If it's not your will, if it's not your will, I'm going to believe in you and profess you as Lord. Now I'm going to trust you even if I'm a little disappointed. I was confronted and impacted by scripture that morning as I read the Bible in Matthew chapter 8. I was confronted with the fact that my disappointment in ministry was a function of sluggishness in disbelief. I mean, let me just say that sluggishness in disbelief I understand as functional disbelief. And functional disbelief is this. On paper, <laughs> I believe in Jesus. You ask me, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. But practically, I live as though I'm trusting in something other than Jesus. And you know what I discovered I was trusting in other than Jesus? That was the... The, the, the reason I was disappointed is, was success in ministry. Man, how messed up can a pastor be? Success in ministry had replaced Jesus, and that's what I was trusting. And no wonder I was disappointed. <laughs> because ministry is tough, and success often doesn't come, at least as we would define it. I was trusting ministry success and not Jesus. The disciples' disappointment was a sign of disbelief. Look at verse 25. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, sluggish, slow of heart in, dis, in, in belief, in believing all that the prophets have spoken. And I believe one reason God sovereignly uh, concealed Jesus' identity to these disciples is for this very purpose, for those two disciples to be confronted with their disbelief and impacted by it. After hearing the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah, after Jesus had taught at least three times, as we read in the Gospels, about his death, burial, and resurrection, after hearing the report of the women and then having it verified that indeed the tomb was emptied. They were gripped with disappointment. They were sluggish in disbelief. They lacked faith. And what was Jesus' remedy? What did Jesus do? I, I just, Luke 24, 26 through 27, the Lord Jesus preached Jesus to them from the Scriptures. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus may have taught from the book of Moses, the book of Exodus, about that first Passover celebration. And Jesus saying, you know what, that, that Passover lamb, that pointed to Messiah. Jesus very well may have gone to Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through Isaiah 53, 12, the very passage that Bruce read earlier today. And Jesus may say, you know, that, that, that suffering servant, that suffering servant points to Jesus. And by the way, what that passage says about Messiah, about the suffering servant, is he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to see 
Jesus' remedy was to preach Jesus from the Scriptures. Are we disappointed with Jesus in some way? Are we disappointed with life in some way? If we are, a deeper problem is not disappointment. It is sluggishness and disbelief, functional unbelief. You know, what, what are we trusting for life and happiness and peace and prosperity? Those things that we trust that are of this world can never provide. They always end in disappointment. That you can count on. The disciples are trusting their expectation of what Messiah should be, this mighty and powerful, victorious king that's going to slam the Jews and, and raise up a mighty kingdom. And what they got was a humble, suffering servant. And they, and they were... They were really disappointed with him, but Jesus took them to the scriptures. Jesus preached them a sermon. They were confronted with the truth of scripture. They were impacted by the truth of scriptures, by Jesus himself. And that's exactly what needs to confront and impact us today. As we struggle with, disbel- if we struggle with disappointment, and lo and behold, we find out it's because of outright disbelief. What's the remedy? Go to God's Word. Every time we open the Bible and read God's Word genuinely, the risen Christ preaches Jesus, (laughs) the risen Jesus to us. Maybe you're here and you don't believe Jesus at all. Maybe you're here and you're just skeptical and suspicious of Jesus. Maybe you've been burned by religion, and you really don't want anything to do with Jesus. Maybe you don't, you're here and you don't know anything about Jesus. What I want you to know is I'm glad you're here, and secondly, what I want you to know is the very experience that I had that morning in Matthew 8 is the very experience that will change your life even today. come before the Lord Jesus Christ, the person that Scripture is all about, and hear him preach to you about himself in Scripture, to be confronted with the claims of Scripture, to be impacted by the power of Scripture, to be converted And brought to that place of faith, acknowledging the reality of the empty tomb and the reality of the risen Christ. As I found Matthew 8 was just one example of many places where my disappointment melted away and my functional unbelief was cured because Jesus preached himself to me through Matthew 8 in in his encounter with a leper. He can do that very same thing for you. If you are here today and you do not believe that he is risen, And if you believe that he is risen, 
we need to be confronted and impacted by the scripture just as much as these dear people that don't know Jesus. Do you, do you realize that? What happens when Jesus preaches to us from his word and the words of the old hymn? We come to embrace yet again, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. I needed to hear that that morning in Matthew 8, that my trusting in ministry success is sinking sand. My only hope is in Jesus. And you need to know the same today. You see, we, we may have no clue where the location of Emmaus is, but we know the experience of the Emmaus Road. And walking in disbelief and being confronted by Jesus' sermon about himself from his word. And then third, walking with Jesus is walking with our hearts burning in, in delight. Many years ago, we were still over on R Street. This, our church used to be on R Street here in, in, in Little Rock. And I had to fly home, and I had to fly back to Little Rock early on a Sunday morning uh, to preach. <laughs> and so uh, I was really glad the airline was on time. But when we departed my, my hometown, Greensboro, North Carolina, early that that Sunday morning in December, it was cloudy, it was really nasty weather, and we took off, we took off and we climbed through the clouds, couldn't see a thing, then all of a sudden we broke out, and when we, and you've probably had this experience, when, when we broke out of the clouds, I experienced the delight of a beautiful sunrise up above the clouds. It was delightful. I was impressed with the storm clouds of disappointment that they really are dark and thick. The storm clouds of disbelief can disorient us like being in a cloud with no reference point. But the sun's always shining above the clouds. I see Jesus leading these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and just bit by bit ministering to them gently, lowly, preaching himself to them, and it is as if they, were, they broke through the clouds, and all of a sudden, there was delight, not of a sunset, but of a risen Savior. In verses 28 through 29, the, the threesome drew near the village. Jesus wanted to go further. They said, hey, no, no, Jesus, you, you, you come and abide with us, and he did. And they, they, they sat at a table. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to them. When Jesus broke the bread and blessed it, the scales of disbelief fell from.
from their eyes. The disappointment melted away and they recognized him, the risen Lord, verse 31. Jesus not only told them of himself, he preached about himself from the scriptures, verse 27, but he demonstrated that he was the provider for their soul. As they broke bread, the Last Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper, that was surely on their minds. As, as he broke bread, the miracles in the Gospels of feeding the 4,000 and, and the 5,000, as Jesus took those seven loaves, those, those five loaves respectively, and broke them and provided for them the multitude food to eat, they recalled that. And they were able to behold the risen Savior who is food for our souls. When Jesus performed this sacramental action, the disciples recognized him. The realities of this sight vanquished the disbelief, melted the disappointment. They broke through the clouds in delight. Behold Jesus, he is risen. My walk with Jesus, and I suspect yours, is similar to the walk on the Emmaus Road. We, we at times are disappointed with Jesus because our focus is on what we want life to be or trusting in something else. We, we discover that our disappointments are really due to living functionally in, in, in disbelief. But like the two disciples, Jesus brings us to, to sit under his sermon, his preaching, and come face to face with him in the scriptures. And we're brought out of disappointment. We're, we're brought through and out of sluggishness of disbelief into belief and into delight. Even when we recognize indeed Jesus is who he says he is, our hearts burn inwardly. That, that strange, uh, strangely being warmed, as John Wesley said it, of his conversion. I see examples of delighting in Jesus in the story, verses 32 through 35. After Jesus disappeared, the two recounted how their hearts burned, verse 32. Powerful, penetrating, transforming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he was working in them as they were walking to Emmaus. And even though it was late in the day, they turned right around and ran back to Jerusalem to say, the Lord has risen indeed, verse 34. They could not wait to share this good news. And this really is the natural response to one who has been brought out of either functional disbelief or all-out disbelief to see the risen Christ. When Renee and I were at the garden tomb, you know, our, our hearts... I might say, at least mine, and I'm sure Renee's was as well, was, was strangely warm. Not, not because that, that tomb in that garden back in the 90s was empty. Not because of the beauty, the beauty of that garden, but because of the realities of that first Easter morning. He is risen and... He remains risen and reigning and ruling over all nearly 2,000 years since the first Easter morning. 
He is at work in our lives today. And so if you don't know Jesus savingly, I want to offer you to come to Christ and experience literally life-changing work. And if you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ today as I am, be reminded of his presence, the presence of the risen Christ in your life. What a blessing, what a delight, should our hearts not be strangely warmed. We may not know the location of Emmaus, the city, but we know the experience of the Emmaus Road. And that journey doesn't end in Emmaus or even Jerusalem for that matter, but it ends with a fresh understanding that indeed the risen Lord is with his people. And because of that, our hearts burn for him by faith and with great joy. May we walk with Jesus ever experiencing what the disciples experienced, being honest about our disappointment, confessing our disbelief, but finding the, the risen Lord there to strangely warm our hearts with forgiveness and with faith and with power. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this passage of scripture that does show the fact that indeed the Lord Jesus is risen. But it also encourages us in our walk with the Lord Jesus today to turn to him, to trust him, to sit under his word and to find that he is faithful to cause our hearts to burn for him. And Father, I pray that we, each one, would leave this place not with my words as a preacher, but with Jesus' words from the scriptures and be encouraged and transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.